So thank you so much for joining us. And we just want to share a little bit about the recent trip we've been on and dive into the topic for today, which is cross-cultural communications. Yeah, so we were just in um, a beautiful part of China. And it's a place that I used to teach. Uh, I taught there for a year yeah. called Yunnan. So this is southwestern China, near the border of Tibet and Myanmar. And um, it's, a, it's a wonderful place, extremely biologically diverse, yeah. but also extremely culturally diverse. And um, it was Mary Daphne's first time there. It was, yeah. He's been talking so, about it for years. Yeah. We have to go to, you know, we have exactly. to go to Exactly, yeah. We finally. And so we finally made it, it there. <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, a terrific experience. It really was. Right? I mean, maybe you can talk about it. It's your first time there, so. Yeah, I mean, I. What were your impressions? I hadn't known so much about it. I didn't know so much about it. And I remember you telling me about the Puar tea, which I'm a huge tea fan. And so Puar is from Yunnan. And it's this really delicious fermented tea. And they have a both cooked version and a raw version. When we say fermented, think about like a French cheese where you you age it over time or wine even, right? Where it sort of matures and develops its own uh, characteristics by virtue of aging. So it's it's a really delicious tea. It's full body and earthy in mm. flavor. And I just, I'm obsessed with it. So anyway, that's really all I knew. And I knew that, you know, of course, my husband talked there and loved it there. And we went on a hike and it was actually a few hikes and it was absolutely spectacular. Some of the most majestic mountains I have yeah. ever seen. Yeah. And it was so quiet too. I mean, we were virtually the only ones on the mountain. Well, not really, but... We did bump into people. Yeah, it was off season. So fewer people than normal. Yeah. If you go during the Chinese holidays, boy, let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Anywhere in China that's beautiful during their holidays, because they're very strict about their holidays, uh, can get super crowded. So if you're visiting. um, Try to go off season. (laughs) Go off season. Yeah, yeah. No, but it was great. But we bumped into people. We said hello. And what I really liked was that, I mean, we didn't speak. You speak the language, mm. but I, I don't speak Mandarin. And so uh, we just, you know, a smile and a thumbs up or a okay sign. And we had this camaraderie and we had this sort of um, mutual encouragement for each other as yeah. we walked by people who were also climbing this mountain. Yeah, yeah. So through the nonverbals, we were able to, you know. That's true. There is connect. this camaraderie, this really sort of was. social connection yeah. you have with other hikers. Definitely. Because I think. Um, the idea of going out into the mountains, into the yeah. woods, and sort of walking might seem strange to, to some people, yeah. right? Yeah. Certainly, I remember the first time I was there, and we walked through some village at one point. This was uh, several years ago. And a couple of the people in the village uh, asked, what, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and we said, well, we're, we're walking. And they asked, well, why would you be doing that? Why are you doing for? that? Why, why don't yeah. you take a car? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or a donkey or something. Well, no. They, we they, saw they, a few donkeys. They were like, you should, be, you should be in a Jeep. Like, oh, don't, don't, don't walk. What are you doing walking? It's going to take a lot longer. It's yeah. a lot harder. You're exerting yourself. Exactly. So there's no question, you know, I think in some cultures, hiking is a thing that people do um, and for enjoyment. Right. And in other cultures, 
It's a means to an end. Basically. It's a means to you're an end. You're trying to exactly. get from point A to point it's B. It's a suboptimal form of transportation. Right, right. <laughs> right. It's funny. But Which, it's true. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. all about the, but the, But for that reason, I think when you run into other hikers, you you sort of look at each other and you're like, yeah, I get why you're here and you know, yeah. good on you for, for making the effort. And then what was that um, expression that you said? Like, um, add more oil, add more oil. Oh, that was a yeah, transliteration. Yeah. There's a terrific Chinese phrase um, for keep going, like keep it up. Keep it up. You've got and this. And it's called jia yo. Jia yo. So jia uh, means to add and yo is oil. So yeah, it's basically yeah. like add gasoline to the tank, like keep, keep going. Keep hustling. And so that yeah. was always fun to use. You know, yeah. you say it to other people, they say it to you. And um, so out of context, you might be like, what do you mean add oil to what? To my like camelback? What am I right. adding oil to? But then within the context, you understand, okay, well, this must be a way of encouraging the hikers to keep going. So it's a lot of the time, and we, we have the video about communicative competence, and we talk about how language and culture culture are intertwined, mm. you really can't separate one from the other. And so it's so important that when you're doing, you know, when you're having these cross-cultural communication experiences, that you keep that in mind, that there's always the subcontext, there's the cultural context within what the language is embedded, right? So I think yeah. that's something that is really important to keep in mind. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the best reason i think to learn another language yeah. is because you learn about that culture Absolutely. too right the the language and the culture are so tightly intertwined so that, important uh, i know it when i go to countries where i don't yeah. speak the language which is a lot of countries because uh fewer than you because you speak a lot more languages than i do um but, but you when, know a really hard one you know mandarin <laughs> um but the thing is when you when you get to that country and you don't speak the language it's not only that you can't communicate you know using your words, yeah. you also struggle to communicate on a more fundamental level mm -hmm. because that by not, by virtue of not knowing the language, you also don't necessarily understand why they're doing the things they do. Absolutely. Right? Definitely. So why is it important then to know how to communicate across cultures? Uh, well, I, I think that different cultures have so much to share with each other. Yes. Right? I think one of the most important reasons to have uh, – this cross-cultural communications skill set is because when you take yourself out of a, an environment that you're used to mm -hmm. and put yourself in an unfamiliar environment, you open up an incredible learning opportunity. Definitely. And by learning how to communicate effectively across cultures, mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily require that you uh, know that culture directly, but if you can sort of establish some skills and and strategies for communicating in cultures that you're unfamiliar with, mm -hmm. you're able to tap in and start to learn yeah. in a way that you really couldn't sort of sitting around at home in a culture that you know you're already very familiar with. Right, and I think a lot of it comes down to, well, in my experience, two things. One. I think from the perspective of the person who is trying to learn that second language, the L2, the second language or the culture, is to really try to take risks with the language, the expressions, to try it out. Mm. But then I will caveat that with saying that, you know, because you're taking risks and you're out of your comfort zone, so to speak, which is really the only way I think people can really learn, right? We can learn. 
um, is really through uh, trial and error, right? So you try something out and then it might not go, but then you'll get feedback from that community. And also I think it's important to say, look, I'm still learning the language. I'm still mm. not that familiar with this culture, but I really want to get to know it better. I really want to, you know, expand my horizons. I think keeping that in mind, so having an open mind, taking risks, and then just saying, please correct me, please. I don't mean any harm if I, you know, make the wrong gesture or do something differently that inadvertently offended somebody, right? right? Because these are things that happen. They really do. Miscommunication happens, especially with this cross-cultural communication. But that that's okay, right? That's okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I think <laughs> you you brought up um, a really good point, which which is related to I think what we were talking about in yeah. some of our previous live sessions. Yeah. Which is that sort of process of taking a risk, right? And uh, that's part of the learning process yeah, for sure, definitely. Right. By by taking a risk, like we discussed last time. Uh, you're forcing yourself to acclimate to something new. Yeah. And that activates different parts of your brain that aren't used as much. Yes. And just by activating those parts of your brain, you start to think of new ideas, new thoughts, new solutions. Yeah. And uh, it can be a really eye-opening experience. Even, even this trip that we just yeah. took, yeah. I have to say, I hadn't been to China uh, for, for several years. Yeah. And so uh, going there and returning to it, just that, you know, one week that we spent there really did expand my mind. I felt um, more creative. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we came back with quite a few ideas in terms of yeah. sort of material that we want to expand on. Yeah. Uh, they also have a variety of technology that is light years ahead of, you know, some of the stuff elsewhere in the world. Uh, their payment systems in particular. Oh my are, gosh, it's so cool. So everything, everything so you pay with, with a QR code there. So you scan it. It might be like that in some other countries as well. Yeah. It's not like that in the U.S. yet, let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> so the U.S. is quite behind when it comes to payment systems. I love that we still have our Metro cards. Oh, in, yeah, in yeah. The, yeah, in yeah. the subways and the buses. Exactly. Like, it's totally remember, old school. It's one step removed from uh, yeah, tokens. Well, I mean, our subway is like from the 70s. Right. Yeah, well, we're talking about New York, York, New York City subway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just remember when I was in France studying abroad. I mean, this was years ago. It's over ten years ago, and they already had the car. They call it the Carte Navigo, and it's basically the magnetic, mm. you know, the card that you can have in the bottom of your bag. You just put your bag onto the, like, where the turnstile. Is, I see. And you go through. You don't have to go through digging. Yeah, you know, through terrific. your purse. You just. <laughs> <laughs> that was so great. Yeah, I just yeah, loved yeah. it. Totally. But um, it's really important to experience different cultures, I think. I mean, we both love doing that. And so I think we're huge proponents of it. And you just like, you you, you get out of the echo chamber. And mm. I'm not talking about the echo chamber that's on social media and showing up in our feeds. I'm talking about- That's with you everywhere you go. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about the echo chamber that we we just have, you know, in our friend groups or in our- tribes or wherever it is that we feel comfortable, right? And I think it's so important to get out of that so that you can learn about different perspectives and points of view and worldviews. And you might not agree with it all, but you also, you know, might learn something and you probably will learn something. Yeah. Right? I'm curious. Um, and if nothing comes to mind, yeah, no worries. But was there any point in this trip that we took 
where you encountered a cultural mm. situation that surprised you, that you know, forced you to sort of activate, you know, some of your cross-cultural yeah. communication skills. Can you think of anything specific? So, I mean, nothing really specific comes to mind because I think I'm already. I mean, I'm although I don't speak Mandarin, I feel like um, you know I've had a lot of Chinese students. I have a lot of Chinese friends mm. um, through you too. I feel like soaking up the culture, and I love the food. So I think in some ways I already, you know know a little bit about the culture. But one thing that sort of comes to mind to, to answer your question, when we had tea. Yes. Um, so we went, of course, uh, into a tea shop in Yunnan because we had to do it. <laughs> and and Yunnan, as she said, is very much known for their tea. Oh my gosh. I it loved like... it so much. It was <laughs> so incredible. I will just say one thing. One thing that I really love about tea is it does lead to great conversations because think about it. You're talking to somebody, you're sipping on your tea. It's hot. So you have to, you know, you can't chug it. You have to wait. Um, so you naturally have this conversation that flows and it's so beautiful because conversation leads to one topic and then another and then another. And meanwhile, you're sharing this delicious pot of tea, right? So that's something that I mm. love about tea. But separate of that, when we were in this tea shop. So the poor tea glasses are quite small. Mm -hmm. So you have to constantly be refilling them. It's very um, involved, very interactive as well. Labor intensive. I Labor like intensive, <laughs> um, which is fun. But anyway, so the, the, the woman, the tea, tea lady, I don't know, is there a specific term? The shopkeeper. The shopkeeper. But in Chinese, is there a specific? No. Not really. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I was going to think like the tea master or something. <laughs> Anyway, she kept refilling our glasses and then she kept pressing, you know, the um, electric teapot to boil some more mm. water and more. And I didn't know. I mean, I could have kept going and going and going. I didn't know at what point it was polite or impolite to say, okay, thank you. That's enough. I'm fine now with the tea. Yeah. Like, what do you, do you know what I mean? Like, how do you, totally. how do you say, okay, thank you so much. I've, I've had enough. I'm sated. Yeah, you know? that's it's it's so funny you bring that up because that same thing we didn't communicate this no. when we were sitting down there. Because so just to paint the picture for you, we're in this nice little shop. Um, we were sort of browsing their wares, and they invited us to take a seat um, and share some tea with them, and maybe sample some of the stuff that we might purchase. Yeah, and so uh, we of course did, and so they started serving us this tea, and uh, it was delicious. But I had the exact same realization. About a half hour in. Yeah, I think right? we stayed there for like an hour and a half. Yeah, it, it, we were there for a while. It was a while. <laughs> well, no, we were, I don't think we were there for an hour and a half, but about a half hour in. Okay. I started um, thinking, you know, what, when when should we wrap this right. up, right? I, I and, feel and like. How is it? How do you exit? What's your exit strategy? Like, because in American culture, it's kind of rude to be super direct about it and say, thank you, I'm done. Like, right. this is finished. We're done here. That's a bit rude. Right? You sort of have to ease into it. You have to hedge a little bit. Say, well, you know, really enjoyed that tea. Oh, what? look at the time. Like, you know what I mean? There are different cues you yeah. can give. So I had no idea. I was relying on Greg. You really did a good job, though, with it. Well, I think I think in the U.S. culture, what you it's more common. I wouldn't say this is always the case, but yeah. it is more common mm -hmm. that the host can signal the time, mm -hmm. right? In, in general, yeah. I think the host feels a little reticent to do that. Yeah. But the, it's okay for the host to sort of say, okay, actually, you know, I have to go pick up 
my kid from right, you make school. like a future mention. Right, right. You make a future mention. In some way, you signal that it's time to sort of wrap up part ways. In China, I think that's much less common. And so that only occurred to me, like I was saying, about a half hour in, <laughs> when I was like, she may never stop pouring. Yeah, it's going to be like <laughs> 10 p.m. And we may be here <laughs> through dinner, and then they're going to buy us a dinner. And, uh, you know, just because it's a polite thing. Because it's a polite thing to do. It's not maybe right. actually what. Right. They, they probably wanted to, want. what they really want to do is close the sale. Let's be honest. I mean, we're yeah. in the shop. Right, they want to sell some tea. Right. And yeah. the faster they can get us out, they get someone else in to sit down and do the same drill. Um, but the funny thing was that it was not just one tea we tried. I think we tried like four or five different teas and they kept taking it out of the, you know, the, the tins yeah. and, and showing us, okay, look at this type of tea. And this one is from, you know, this is also Yunnan tea. What was the one I loved? I love poor. But the other one I love was well, the Dian Hong. Dian Hong is is uh, was it? A, it's a is it's, it a considered a mountain tea? You read the it description. Is. Yeah, yeah, it's a mountain tea. Yeah, it's sort of um, sort of above average type of Yunnanese tea, which Yunnanese tea is already above average, and uh, what's it called it's golden so tip. Yeah, they have different names. Okay. I've, the first time I encountered it, or something similar, but I'm convinced it was that. It was the golden horse eyebrow. Right, right, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. And then the second time when we were in Yangshua, I found that it was called Golden Monkey or something. Right, right, right. And then this time around, it was Dian Hong, right? Dian Hong. Dian Hong. Yeah. And, and it, has, it has like a honey taste to it. And a beautiful golden so color. Good. Oh, love so it. So anyways, they keep serving us this tea. Yeah, and and I realized we actually are probably going to be the ones that have to initiate <laughs> the next step in this process. And, um, so th at that point I basically said, okay, uh, this tea is delicious. We'll buy it. And immediately once we said that, uh, the tea stopped boiling <laughs> and they smiled and you said, okay, great. You know, and we started sort of going through that next part of the process. It yeah. was evident that as soon as I had initiated it, this is what they were sort of hoping for us to do. To close the sale. To close the sale. And also, and I think- Which this, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what they're there to do, right? Exactly. And I think this would apply, though, not just in, in a sort of commerce context. I think in general, the expectation is, as a host, you're not going to kick the person out. And so it's sort of, you're um, obligated to continue serving them until they signal, the guests, they meaning the guests, are ready to leave. And that's, as Americans, I think not something we're sort of as prepared for. Uh, and it took, it took a little, probably longer than they were expecting yeah. to sort of, for us to signal that next stage in the, in the communication process. Yeah. So that so. was one way of sort of trying to figure out, you know, how do we politely mm. move on and, you know, thank them for the amazing tea and then be on our merry way so that they can also serve the next customer. Yeah. You know, uh, another really interesting um, cultural difference, this is actually within China that I noticed, yeah. is... Because there is um, a lot of diversity. And China's there's huge. so many different dialects. Oh, can I just say the funny story? Yeah, 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 please. So when we were on our bus getting to the trailhead on one of the, one of the hikes, Gregory was the only person who could actually speak Mandarin and English, <laughs> and he was translating to a this is huge funny. group, um, you know, Informally. There were, yeah, there were Asians there, there were Europeans there, there were, you know, Americans there. And I was so surprised that somebody who was from a different part of China could not communicate in Mandarin with the bus driver. And then you had to step up. Yeah. I thought that I was like, wow, this is so incredible. 
because you can't just take for granted that everyone knows Mandarin. There's so many different dialects. And, you know, Cantonese and Mandarin are not necessarily, they're actually quite different. Very different. And, yeah. and so that was just like really eye-opening to me. And I was really yeah. proud of you for being able to translate. <laughs> it, was, it was a funny situation yeah. for sure because uh, I was, you know, I felt like the tourist there. But on the other hand, I was the only person that could communicate between the bus driver and the majority of the people on the bus. And, and this was important because they were trying to figure out where were they, they were going to leave their baggage because they were going to stay on the mountain uh, for two nights. Yeah, and they, yeah. it was quite important. It yeah, these were these like, were critical logistics. Critical where to start logistics. the trail so that you don't get lost yeah. and you know yeah. go down the wrong road. So anyway, I was I, I digressed. A yeah, little no, bit. no, no, no. So uh, that say? was that was a funny story. I just wanted to mention it. Um, what I was going to bring up is that okay. So as we just discussed, China is a big place, and different parts of China have different ways of doing things. Yeah. And what I noticed a major difference between Yunnan and the rest of China mm. is in the way that they sell something, right? Yes. And so right. when you are in other parts of China, when you go to a shop, particularly somewhere that's sort of um, focused on tourists, but really it's even if you go to a general market, open air market, you will find that people are very proactively pushing the sale to you, right? They're reaching out to you. Here's this product. Do you want it? Do you want it? How much? How much? Right? They're sort of almost in your face about uh, getting you to buy this thing. Parts of New York are like that too. Parts of New York are like <laughs> that. Yeah, you, you see this around. What was fascinating about Yunnan is that it wasn't that way. Yeah. Uh, and instead, it was much more. This is my shop. Come in if you want. This is what I have. Right. Here. Right. They're they're not reaching oh, out to you. They're just sort of sitting tranquilly. And if you come in. They, they, they might acknowledge you, but they might not even. Yeah. It's a totally different experience. Very laissez-faire. Yeah. Really pleasant. I Very, as, as, the, yeah, as the consumer, it was really pleasant. Um, but there's, there's another important aspect to it that I think is more so about communication, which okay. is not only are they more relaxed about coming into their shop, they also hit you with a real price up front. Yes. Right. So in the places where people are sort of more aggressively trying to sell you something, <laughs> they're typically marking up their sale 300, 400%, wow, sometimes more, right? Oh Huge, vast quantities, some <laughs> above what the, the product actually costs. In Yunnan, that's not the case. Yeah. And so there, um, they, they actually give you the price they want to sell that. So and you nice. might be able to shave a little bit off, but really they're coming with you, coming, coming to you with the price they want to sell. And the reason I think this is really important from a yeah. cultural communications perspective is that if you only knew what it was like to buy these products in the rest of China where there's this intense, aggressive sales process, when you got to Yunnan, you might actually get into quite a tense situation with the shopkeeper mm. because you're going to assume that they're going to also be marking up their products 400 500%. Yeah, because you're operating on the operating. assumption that that's how it's That's done. That's how it's done. And uh, what a, a skill that you can use that we were talking about before that you can use to sort of avoid falling into that awkward situation yep. is sort of reading the, the, the body language and the context. Definitely. Right? And, yes. and so it was pretty much immediately clear yeah. by how relaxed these people were Definitely. that they weren't out there to sort of take as much money as they could from you. The other thing also I noticed was that, I mean, they weren't trying to speak English to us. Yeah. Like they weren't 
Because a lot of times, like in different countries I've been to, um, if you look like you, even if you don't look like somebody who, I don't know, if you if you look like you might not speak the language that they speak, they'll try a language that they think you might know. And a lot of times that's English, um, even if you don't know English, right? Right. And so it's funny when they put that on you, they try to, you know, get lure you into the right. shop by speaking a language they think you know. Right, right, right. Um, to make it more sort of welcoming exactly, and so forth. Exactly. And we didn't have any of that, you know? Yeah, um, no, it was just, it was a anything, really relaxed process. To speak Mandarin to me. Yeah, and you, there were. You, you knew it. There were, but, but that idea that cool. uh, of sort of reading the context. So important. And, and, you know, just because you're in China doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be this way. Yes. And by, by reading the context and, uh, you know, going beyond what your existing understanding of a situation is, right, being hyper aware sort of, uh, of, of, of the situation can really serve you well yep. when it comes to that cross-cultural communication. Yeah. Because I think we, we correctly assume that these people were probably given us the real price. Yeah. And I, at one point actually tried to try to talk someone down just a little bit and they're like, mm, no, I, sorry, this is the price. And it was only a small amount. And I knew from that, from that little exchange that for sure, this is the real deal. Yeah, these 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 were given people us the real price. being honest. Yeah, yeah. it's important. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing to kind of be aware of um, when dealing with cross cultural context is to try to shake our minds of this cultural stereotype that we might mm. sort of yeah. be ruminating over, um, because you know they're pretty detrimental to uh, the interactions that you might have with people from a certain speech community or cultural group or subculture. If you have this idea that, you know, this is how it's done in that context. Mm -hmm. um, but I know it's a little abstract, but I think it's really important that, you know, you sort of, instead of thinking about what you think you know, how things are done in that language or culture, you really just pay attention to tone of voice, nonverbals, micro expressions, the expressions that flash across your face within a fraction of a second. Yeah. All of these little cues that just as humans, we are attuned to, right? And that go beyond culture and language. It's just part of, you know, our humanity. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. Because if you think about it, just think about put yourself in your uh, your own shoes, right. right? Think about the people you know around you. They're different people, and they sort of behave differently. Some of your friends do things this way. Some of your friends do things that way. You're not all the same. You, you're probably all from the same sort of community, yet you do things differently. Yeah. So even in that small subset of a, of a bigger population, you have that effectively it's cultural diversity it's certainly behavioral Definitely. diversity oh for sure and so to assume because someone's from a certain country or a certain culture they're going to behave xyz way yeah can be um i mean it, it's risky because it you could be way off yeah and which is why i really like what you're saying which is you know put, set those aside you can keep those as sort of you know in the back, in of, the your back mind, of your mind but don't but but don't Use view them, them as as dogma because yeah. it could be that this person does things quite differently from you know the other people 
in that, in that sort of context. And be ready to change your mind. Yes. Right. And your opinion. And totally. that's when the magic happens, that's when you can really embrace the diversity and also notice that there are more similarities than differences between all of us. Yeah. I, I love that. The, amazing. Right. The, one of the, you asked at the start of this, um, what, what the, uh, what are the advantages of uh, yeah. cross-cultural communication? Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of them is, I think it, it forces you to have an open mind. Yes. And in today's world, like having, having an open mind is probably one of the most important things Definitely. that, that you can do Definitely. Uh, in terms of being a responsible global citizen. Global citizen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I totally agree with that. By, by going into a new culture, you're forced to have an open mind because if you don't, a lot of things are going to upset you. They're going to yeah. frustrate you. When you talk to people and they went somewhere and they're like, ah, oh, we really just, we didn't like it. We didn't have a good time. We can't handle how they do X, Y, and Z. Well, chances wow. are they, they would have had more fun mm -hmm. if they had had a more open mind when they went there. Absolutely. Yeah. So like it, it, it's something that seems so sort of like obvious. Of course I'm going to have an open. And then you're in that situation and something might irk you or confuse you or upset you. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, actually, I do need to totally have an open mind about this. Yeah, and I feel like if there's if there's one thing that I would love for people to take away from this conversation today, mm -hmm. it is that it's it's you know um, by having an open mind, you uh, are more receptive to input, right? Yes. And I don't just mean verbal input, but all the other stuff that you've been talking about, right? The body language, uh, sort of other. Uh, um, cues, social yes. cues, maybe just the environment, the way things are laid out is once you have an open mind, you see more. And when you see more, you're able to intuit more mm -hmm. and make a more informed decision about how to behave, how to interact. Uh, and that ends up, uh, you know, with you having a better experience and the people you interact with having a better experience with you. So something really important, I think, to take away. Definitely. And I think related to that, so it's also important on the flip side, let's say you are welcoming somebody from a different country or culture from your own. And, you know, you notice maybe that they say things differently and maybe they're too direct or too indirect, depending on what culture you're coming from yourself. Mm. It's important to also have an open mind by giving that person the benefit of the doubt. Mm, right. Yeah. Because I think, um, you know, some cultures, it is completely appropriate to say something very directly and just maybe even demand something. Something that you're not uh, sort of uh, accustomed to. Exactly. And that is completely like that is the way it is mm. done. But if that rubs you the wrong way, then you really just you just have to say, well, that must be the way it's done there. And if you're closer to this person, you might say, you know, this, I didn't interpret it badly, but, you know, just so that you're aware in this ah, specific cultural context. Yeah, yeah. We sort of, cause I remember when I was well, that abroad, would be a really good friend. I remember when I was abroad, I was asking all my friends, please correct me. Yeah. Please correct me. And they were really opposed to it. They didn't want to, you know, hurt my feelings or anything. I said, no, you would be doing me a disservice if you, didn't correct me. And they're <laughs> so like, true. okay. And so I made all of them. And they probably still didn't, or it, it, it was hard no, no. to get them to do it. But then I found a few close friends who would. That's great. Um, That's huge. 
So it that's was a strategy. So Talk key. about strategies, finding so someone to, uh, to, to help you sort of. Definitely. But you're right. You're right. Your point was. We need that feedback. Well, we your, your previous feedback. point was. Uh, benefit of the doubt. Give them the benefit of the doubt yeah. because chances are. Uh, they don't know. People mean mean well. They most mean well. most people yes. mean well. Most people mean Good well. Intentions. And um, to the extent that you can uh, sort of adopt that mindset, yeah, I think you'll have a much better. Right. Time. So the open mind is on both sides. Yeah. So All I right. think also it's important to notice that so it's not just the nonverbals, it's the written communication mm -hmm. and the oral communication, right? That you know you have to sort of navigate. Yeah. And tease apart in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so. Um, I think we have one question. Ah, okay. I think yeah. we're actually. Oh, so we got a question about personal space and whether yeah. that's part of cross-cultural communication. What do you think? Personal space. Yeah, I definitely think so because proximity, without a doubt, space and distance. <laughs> totally a cultural <laughs> thing because. Uh, <laughs> In the U.S., personal space. That in arms like Right. You, you know, uh, people <laughs> people like, if you're a stranger, people like to, to sort of have their distance. Yeah, it's about like right? this. And to come within that space. Invading. Uh, it's invasive. It, it, it feels like you're invading their privacy, yeah. and it's, it's not comfortable for them. Uh, certainly <laughs> in China and elsewhere in Asia. In Turkey, when I was teaching in, there. In Turkey. Yeah. Uh, there's much less of this. Uh, People can get really close sense to of and personal space. You know that's how it is there, and, and yeah, and and it's um, it can be very, uh, I think, very difficult for people who are unused to that to to um, acclimatize to. Yeah, it, right? yeah, yeah, totally. And I remember that sometimes, like when I was first introduced to that, uh, I was a bit taken aback because I was just like, oh. But my first reaction was to move a step backward. So uh, as I did that, the other person <laughs> moved closer to me. So I still did it. So we, I basically backed up into a. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah. But it was fine. You know, it was like not a big deal. It was um, yeah. a, a colleague and it was completely fine. And then I slowly understood that, okay, this is how it's done here. And so then I had students come up and, you know, they're like fifth mm -hmm. graders or whatnot. And they're like so close. Yeah, and like, but I think this is such, this is such a great example of how cross cultural communication isn't just verbal, right? And you it's, learn it. It's physical. You learn about it's it. it's, uh, it's uh, sort of oh, yeah. conceptual, right? There's yeah. there's so many different layers to mm -hmm. that, um, and that's just one of those things where, to the extent that you can prepare yourself for that before you go into that culture, try to you'll have a better time. Yeah. and even if you're not prepared for it, that's by okay. keeping that keeping that mindset open, you can think of it as okay. Well, this person bumped into me. I don't think he was trying to shove me out of the way. Uh, instead, it might just be that here. Uh, that's how you know, it's done. That's how it's done, right? <laughs> if you need to get to the front, you're going to sort of use your body to do that. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's sort fine. of how, how it fine. goes. And um, by being open to it, by assuming the best in, in, in people's intentions, uh, you can just sort of laugh it off and continue to have a good day. Definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, we can talk about the takeaways from sort of this conversation. Mm. So definitely having an open mind, being able to take risks so that you can improve um, and, you know, really explore and explore the culture and the language better than you would if you hadn't taken risks. And then 
making sure that you sort of keep the benefit of the doubt, give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And then the positive sort of interpretation. Yeah. Well, I, my takeaway, frankly, is that the most important thing you can do is uh, take that first step into going into these different cultures, right? Um, it's very easy to sort of stay where you are and um, in a place where you're comfortable and familiar with. Yeah. And uh, I get that not everyone necessarily has the flexibility and freedom to go into a different culture, but you can do that in other ways, right? You can do that online even. Um, there are ways to sort of expose yourself to cultures that are different than your own. Um, there are plenty of free resources for learning languages if that's your approach. Yeah. Um, but there's also just tons of communities and forums, even in your own language, that are probably quite different culturally from the one in your immediate location. So by doing that, uh, you do give yourself the opportunity to practice some of these things that we've discussed today. Definitely. Um, and in, in, in doing so, you also open up your mind and... Uh, I think you can benefit enormously, uh, both personally and professionally, but from doing so. Yeah.